Well, good evening. Good to be with you folks. Genesis chapter number 19 this evening. If you would turn to Genesis chapter number 19, and as you're turning there, just let me say thank you to you as a church and to Pastor White for allowing me to be here. I do count it as a privilege to be here and to be able to share our ministry and to preach the Word of God. I know missionaries say that oftentimes, and you hear it all the time. We say it's a privilege and it's an honor and those good things that we should be and the gratefulness, but please don't take it just as being uh, the appropriate thing and I'm being the good missionary in saying that. I honestly am, be, am being genuine. I do count it a privilege to be here and to share our ministry and share the Word of God with you. Uh, we appreciate your prayers, and uh, if you would uh, get a prayer card from us after the service, we would greatly appreciate it. You can keep up with us with that. And uh, if there's uh, anything, any questions you have, please feel free to ask us, and uh, we'll do our best to answer those things. We are glad to be here. I do apologize. My wife and daughter are not here. I am, uh, they are definitely the better two-thirds of my family, and so uh, it is unfortunate they were unable to make it, but... Uh, and uh, my daughter would have loved to have been here. My wife would have as well. But my daughter especially would have loved to have been here. She, she loves going to church. And we're always in a new church and always a different church. And so I was talking to her on the phone earlier today. She says, Daddy, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in Canada. She says, Canada? And she didn't really understand. As you can under, her, her, her little mind doesn't quite understand that concept. But uh, she would have been happy to be here. And I thank you for your... Uh, graciousness in allowing me to be here by myself, and so uh, we appreciate that very much. Well, Genesis chapter number 19 this evening, I'd like to speak to you just a little bit on the idea of bargaining with God. Uh, Genesis chapter number 19, we'll start reading in verse 17. If we can read down, uh, down through verses 17 and 18, and then we'll uh, pray and get started here this evening. The Bible says in Genesis 19, verse 17, And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity once again to be in your house. Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to be here. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, for the great vision that this church has for this city, for this place. We pray you would just continue to help bless them in their efforts to evangelize uh, Surrey and the greater Vancouver area, Lord. Lord, we pray you bless your word now, bless the preaching of it. I certainly have nothing I can say to these folks, but you most certainly do. And we pray your Holy Spirit would take your word, work on each and every one of our hearts in only a way you can. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So in Genesis chapter number 19, just a little bit of context of what is going on and understanding. Uh, in Genesis chapter number 18, God has come to Abraham and he has told Abraham that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up before him and he is now going to destroy those cities as a result of that and of that problem. And so in chapter 19, he sends uh, the two angels to Sodom to carry out uh, the justice that he had for that place, but more importantly, to first of all, remove Lot and his family. Abraham had asked for uh, the cities and the people there to be saved, and uh, God in His mercy was going to save and rescue Lot out of that place. And for early part of Genesis chapter number 19, the angels come and they're telling Lot, you need to get out of here, gather your family. God is going to destroy this place and you need to remove yourself. You need to get out of here. And Lot says, well, not, not quite. Let's have supper. Let's rest the night and then we'll, then we'll get started in the morning. And he kind of is... Uh, what's the word, uh, hesitant to follow through with what they're telling him to do. 
And then we come to the next morning, and we come in verse 15, when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. In verse 16, and while he lingered, while he waited, while he lingered and drug his feet, so to speak, the angels, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. And then we come to our text in verses 17 to 22. It came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord. We have a very interesting thing taking place. Lot is obviously in a great deal of danger. God is being merciful to him. He's sending these angels, these men, to remove him from that place. And Lot, rather than simply just obeying, continues to try to delay his departure from the city of Sodom. And in verse 17, we really get down to brass tacks of what it's all about. They tell him to escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. God commands him via these men, via these angels, to go, to leave. And Lot, instead of immediately doing what God has told him to do, he begins to try to bargain with God. He begins to try to get a different, a different outcome. He doesn't want to go to the mountain. There's a number of reasons for that. He doesn't want to flee. He doesn't want to leave. So he begins to, rather than simply obey what God has told him to do, he begins to bargain with him. And God then finally, towards the end in verse 22, allows him to do what he asks and go to a different city and continue on. You know, May I propose to you this evening that as people, we can often do the same thing. As Christians, we are guilty of this oftentimes, I believe, in our hearts and our minds. The Lord speaks to us, whether it's to be to Christian service, whether it's to tell a particular person about the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's to go to another nation, whether it's to give. God speaks to us, and rather than simply obeying what He's told us to do, we begin to say, well, Lord, how about this? Well, Lord, why don't I do something else? Is it, could, could this be a substitute for what you've told me to do? And by looking at the pitfalls of Lot here in this passage, we can identify this bargaining and learn how to avoid it. There's some parallels I'd like to draw tonight from Lot to, our, to people today and to ourselves. First of all, there's three parts of the text. Notice, first of all, there's the calling of God out in verse 17. God tells Lot to flee to the mountain. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be death. He needs to run from this place. He needs to get out of that place. You know, it's interesting to me, this is, uh, this is not an optional suggestion. You know, we might think of it as an optional suggestion, but we know it's not. How do we know this? Well, think about it. He says, escape for thy life, look not behind thee. We all know that phrase, do we not, from Genesis chapter 19. We know that they weren't supposed to look behind them. Why? Because Lot's wife did look behind her and in, uh, in verse 26 looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. There was disobedience on her part and consequences as a result. And so that look not behind thee is part of the entire commandment that God had given him that he was to escape. This isn't an optional thing. God's not saying, listen, Lot, this might be a good idea for you. This might be a good plan for you to leave this place. It's a legitimate command of God to get out of there. God instructs us in many ways as well, does He not? First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2, uh, the Bible talks about, "...ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus." Somebody once told me you won't find commandments in the New Testament. 
Uh, you most certainly do find commandments of God uh, in the New Testament that we as Christians are supposed to be obeying and following. And there are many ways God calls us uh, to holiness. He calls us not to love the world in First John chapter number 2. He calls us to tell others, Mark chapter 16. Uh, he calls us to go unto the uttermost in Matthew chapter number 28. He calls us to give in Philippians chapter 4. Practically speaking, we understand that God speaks to His people. He speaks to us via His Word, and then He speaks to us via His Holy Spirit on a regular basis to give us day-to-day -day direction and guidance, and we need to be listening to that. Much like He spoke to Lot, He will speak to you, He will speak to me if we are listening. And if we are listening, we need to be prepared to obey. So we see the, the specific call of God, first of all, there in verse 17. And then secondly, we see that man begins to bargain. In verses 18 to 20, and this takes up the bulk of what we see here this evening, man begins to bargain. And there's three parts of this. Rather than simply obeying what God has said, Lot begins to bargain with God like God's command is some kind of used car sale. You all know what I'm talking about when I say a used car sale. Some of you do. Some of you are shaking your head. The, 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 the gist of it is this. If you go to buy a used car, you don't pay sticker price. You all are with me, right? You try, to, you try to bargain with the salesman. You try to get it down below where it's supposed to be. Uh, a bit of a personal illustration, if I might use it. I sold a vehicle uh, a while back, and uh, it was a 2001 Toyota Corolla, and uh, it had... It had a uh, 235,000 miles. I'm not sure what that would uh, what that would um, ca uh, calculate to, but 235,000 miles, a lot of a lot of miles, a lot of kilometers on it. And um, I put it on Craigslist for a thousand dollars because nobody's going to pay a thousand dollars for this vehicle, and I want to get at least 500 out of it. I can get that at the scrapyard, so I put it out there for a thousand dollars, right? And you all are with some of you have done this, I'm sure. No, okay. I should probably I should probably stop. But no, uh, so I put it uh, put put it on there for a thousand dollars, and the gentleman who purchased it from me was a high school student, and he paid me a thousand dollars for it. He said, he said he came to me, he and uh, he said, are you still asking a thousand for it? And I said, yeah, or or best offer. He said, I said, what were you thinking? He said, oh, I was going to pay you a thousand for it, and I I for a very brief moment, thought about taking him aside and saying, no, this is not how this goes. You're supposed to argue with me. You're supposed to try to get a cheaper price. But I didn't. And uh, I was a bad person in that particular case, but I didn't. And so uh, we went our separate ways. And that, that car's still running, by the way. It still is trolling around our hometown uh, in Dover, uh, Dover, New Philadelphia area. And so it keeps plugging away. He got, uh, got a good vehicle nonetheless. But realize and understand that when God speaks to us from His Word, He's not a used car salesman giving us a price that we need to barter with. He's not giving us something that we need to try to bargain with Him about. And we certainly should not strive to do that. But Lot seems to, seems to treat the command of God that way here in the text this evening. Notice the three parts of it. First of all, how does he, how does he bargain with God? First of all, he abuses the concept of grace. Notice in verse 19, Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. He abuses the concept of grace. He says, God, you've been gracious to me thus far. Thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. And so I'm going to see if I can't push that just a little bit farther. I'm going to see if I can't just eke out a little bit more grace out of this situation. If we understand what grace is, we understand that that very, flies in the very face of what God's grace is being given and how it is given. 
He's abusing the concept of grace. Modern day, we, or rather Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 6, talking about shall we sin more that grace may abound? God forbid. It's the idea that somehow we can just, uh, just cook up some more grace, that we can just find it and we can abuse the concept. You say God is gracious, God has given us grace, and so I've had grace thus far, so I'm just going to continue on. I haven't gotten in trouble yet, so why should I stop now? If I may use this illustration, you take a child. I have my, our daughter is three years old, and uh, she's getting to this place. But uh, she'll she has ways of accessing candy and everything else in the house, and she finds a way. It might be ten feet in the air, but she will find a way to get to it. But uh, uh, if I may use the proverbial cookie jar illustration, if I had a batch of chocolate chip cookies sitting on the counter and my daughter wanted a cookie, and I told her, no, you're not going to have a cookie, uh, it's almost supper time because that's very likely going to play out. And I come back a few minutes later and there's a cookie or two missing from that tray and she has crumbs on her face and chocolate chips and everything else. It's very obvious that she is disobeyed. She is not followed what I said. And I say, did you eat a cookie? And she says, yes, I did, and etc. Now, as a father, I am trying to model the grace of God in the Scriptures, and so I'm going to be gracious and not delve out some form of discipline at this point. Say, listen, you're not in trouble this time. I wouldn't recommend this. This doesn't work, especially with little kids particularly. It wouldn't work with me, and I'm 28 years old. So, but, and anyways... The, uh, you, take, you take her and say, listen, you're not in trouble this time, but if you eat any more cookies, there's going to be some discipline. So I continue on about my day and come back, and the rest of the cookies are now gone because she's not heeded that warning. And the rest of them are gone, and there's chocolate all over the place, and there's crumbs everywhere. And if I say, why did you eat the rest of the cookies? I told you you were going to be in trouble. If the answer is then, well, I didn't get in trouble the first time, there's going to be some serious problems. Why? Because the concept of grace has been abused. Grace was extended and then it was abused. That's what Lot is doing here. He says, I've lived my life in a place I shouldn't have. I've been sinning. I've, I've been dragging my feet about this. And God, you've graciously allowed me to leave. Now I want to see if I can't push that just a little bit farther. Oh, may we be careful that we do not abuse the concept of grace in telling, in going. Think about this. Think about if, you, uh, if God speaks to your heart and says, listen, I want you to talk to that person, give them the gospel, I want you to give them a track, and you say, well, I'll get to them tomorrow, I'll get to them next week, I'll get to them whenever. You're abusing the concept of grace and assuming that that chance will be there again. Let us be careful not to abuse. In going, there are nations around this world that the door was wide open at one time for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forth, and missionaries were no doubt called, but they didn't go. And then the doors were slammed shut sometime later. We need to be careful not to abuse the concept of grace. It's also important to note here in this passage, Lot is incorrect in his statement. Notice verse 29, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. I believe uh, from what we find in this chapter that Lot was rescued out of Sodom, not for his own sake, although that certainly factored into it, but primarily for the sake of Abraham. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. So when Lot says, listen, you've been gracious and merciful to me, that's somewhat true, but it's more true that God's being merciful to Abraham because of his relationship with Lot. And uh, lest we think this is an isolated incident, this happens a number of places in the Scripture. Exodus chapter number 32, Moses intercedes on the part of the children of Israel, intercedes 
Yeah, that's right. Intercedes with God uh, on the part of the children of Israel, uh, who God is ready and prepared to simply wipe out and start over. And Moses says, Lord, don't do that. Please don't do that. And God, God spares uh, the people at that point. And it also happens in 1 Samuel chapter 25, uh, Abigail with David uh, for Nabal. David is ready to go and, and uh, wipe out Nabal and his, his men. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, steps in and asks David not to do that. And just another example of how somebody thought they were okay. Somebody thought someone was extending mercy. And it was really on behalf of someone else. And uh, so a lot, first of all, in this bargaining, he bargains with God by abusing grace. And then secondly, he accepts the fear. Notice the end of verse 19. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Now, it's really interesting here what uh, Lot says. And it's really interesting and it shows us, shows us a picture, not just into Lot, but into you and I, how as human beings we can do this. God tells us something. Oftentimes that may be a fearful thing. So we argue and we debate about it, and the alternative makes no sense in the economy of God, but we're going to argue about it. Think about this. Lot says, listen, God, you want me to go to the mountain? I can't go there. I might die on the mountain. But what's the alternative? Staying where he is and absolutely dying. You see the, the contrast there? It's, it's, they're telling him, you need to leave this place. You're going to die here. And he says, I can't go where you're telling me to go. I might die there. It'd be like someone, it'd be like someone in a uh, wildfire zone. They're surrounded and a helicopter is there to pick them up. And they say, listen, I can't get on the helicopter. You might crash and I might die. Yeah, but the fire is going to overtake you at some point. The logic of it is nonsensical, and understand that any time that we are arguing with God over what He's told us to do, the logic is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense, and it will not work because of this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, most importantly, speaks to this for Christians today. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We need not fear in telling, in going, in giving. In giving, Psalm 37, verse 25, the psalmist writes, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. If God tells us to give something, we can give it with the most assurance that God will take care of what, is, what, what needs to be taken care of. In going, there's places in this world that are frightening places to go, are there not? They're frightening. Norway's not a particularly scary place to go. Uh, to start churches or to give the gospel, at least not at the moment. It could be in the future, uh, but it's not at this time. But there are some places here on this, in this world that are frightening places to go. But if God asks us to go there, we need to be prepared and willing to do so in telling. You know, there's some scary people out there, are there not? There's some frightening people who God might say, listen, I want you to give them the gospel. There's some scary, there's some scary guys. I don't know about you all. Maybe not, here, maybe not here in Surrey or Vancouver. Maybe there's no scary people. There's scary people where I'm from. I'm from northeast Ohio. There's some really big, ugly guys who are just frightening guys. We, we, we had a fella come over. We were installing cable in our, uh, in our uh, house, not cable, uh, internet, and uh, in our home. Uh, for uh, our apartment here a few years back, and this fellow came over to service the cable. And I'm not a small man by any by any estimate. I'm a, 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 how's it how's it said? I'm five eleven and two hundred. None of your business, as the saying goes. But uh, this guy comes in. He's working on the cable, and I I am readily and very aware when someone's bigger than I am because I'm there's not that many people who are. And so he walks in, and this guy had to be this tall. And, and no, no kidding, he was this wide. He, he, was, he was six foot seven if he was an inch. And uh, he was just a big, big man. 
And he left, and my wife told me, she says, she says, there's not many men who make you look small, but he made you look small. I said, I realize that. I said, that's like, that's like football lineman territory right there. The guy is just, just massive. You know something, when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our hearts and says, listen, that person needs to hear the gospel, or you need to give him a track, that's a scary person to give the gospel to sometimes, is it not? There are some people who are frightening, but we need not to accept the fear. Fear is not a bargaining chip with God. Notice thirdly, uh, the third bargaining aspect of this that Lot does. He justifies the sin in verse 20. He says, Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. He says, Listen, Lord, I know that this city is just in as big a trouble and is, has as much sin going on as the other city, but it's, it's a little city. So it's really not that big of a deal. Can we just like overlook that? It's a little place. And think about that and translate it into our modern thinking. I was in Birch Bay, uh, Washington, just over, just over the border this morning. And uh, I think they told me there's 10,000 people in Birch Bay. I don't know how many people's in Surrey, Vancouver. Right? 600,000. 600,000 people, my goodness. And um, just... Just an enormous number of people here. Now, you say, listen, if you kill somebody here in Vancouver, that's a problem. Go over to Birch Bay, that's fine. It's no big deal because there's only 10,000 people there. They can afford it or something, some nonsense. However you're going to cook up that logic doesn't work. It's still wrong. It's still, it's still sin. It's still wicked. Well, the same thing goes here. Lot says, listen, it's a little city over here. Is it not a little city? The sin is still bad. The sin is still an issue. Half obedience, may I make this application, half obedience is still disobedience. If God tells us to go somewhere and we say, well, God says, listen, I want you to be a missionary. I, I want you to be a missionary to Africa. Go there and start churching and say, well, Lord, I'll start churches in Canada or I'll start churches in the United States. Is that what God told you to do? If it's not, then it's not, then it's disobedience. Half obedience is still disobedience. If God wants you to teach a Sunday school lesson, cleaning the church isn't good enough. If God wants you to clean the church, teaching a Sunday school lesson is probably not what you're supposed to be doing. The fact of the matter is here we need to be in step with God and following along with Him, and we need to be careful that our justifying of what we're doing does not become a part of bargaining. Practically speaking, then, when the Almighty God, our Creator who has purchased us with His very blood, speaks to us, let us respond in complete obedience and faith without pretense, doubt, or bargaining. And then finally, as we wrap up, we see the uh, God concedes, and I don't know that that's the right way to put that here this evening, but in verse 21, he said unto them, see I have, uh, unto him, see, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. God says, fine, you want to do that, go for it. God allows Lot to have what he wants and the consequences of it. Notice verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zor, the place where he just asked God he could go. Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountain, the place where he didn't want to go, where God told him to go in the first place. Dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zor. You know something I believe Lot realized all of a sudden God was serious about this business. Up until this point, he didn't believe God was actually going to destroy those cities because he would have been prepared to obey and obey fully. He didn't really believe that God was going to do that, but now he feared to dwell in Zor. Why? Because now the reality of sin was, was crystal clear in his mind and in his eye. 
and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. His wife has turned to salt in verse 26, and I don't know if that's because of his disobedience, but may, I suppose, may we suppose this evening, and you can disagree with me on this, this is just my own personal opinion, if Lot had fully obeyed, she wouldn't have been able to turn back. They'd already been gone, they'd already been out of the city. Uh, it's not clear to us in the text, and so that's just, like I said, that's one of those points Bible college students argue about, but we could... Uh, but it's neither here nor there. But there are certainly a number of real consequences to his disobedience. The fear that he's going to live in, in verse 30, for the remainder of his life. The family sin, verses 31 to 36. The family sin that takes place and the generational rifts that happen there, thereon. I mean, ripples that down through literally the decades and centuries ahead because Lot did not obey because he bargained with God. God sometimes allows us to make a deal, but there will be consequences. God sometimes allows us to do things our own way, but there will certainly be consequences. You think about Norway and other places around this world where those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, perhaps even here tonight, those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and who have a different way than just Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yet somehow, most of the world still believes there's a different way that they can get to heaven. Perhaps someone here tonight, even. God may allow you to continue living on and may even allow you to pass on into eternity with that understanding, with that thought. But there will be consequences. Make no mistake about it. You cannot bargain with God. You cannot bargain your way into heaven. There could be a loss of rewards for the saved. Understand, we'll be rewarded in heaven uh, for the work we do for our Lord, and Jesus Christ will be glorified as a result of it. But if we do not obey here on this earth, those rewards are not there in heaven. Any of you ever have a child? This just happened to me with our, uh, my daughter last week. I told her I was going to, I said, I'm thinking about getting you something. I was thinking about getting her ice cream, I think it was. I said, I'm thinking about getting you ice cream. I didn't tell her ice cream. I'm thinking about getting you something, but you need to behave. She was in the process of uh, not behaving at a thrift store we were at. And uh, she continued to misbehave. I said, well, you're not, you're not getting it now. Realize and understand that as we are obedient to God, there are rewards that we'll reap in heaven. There'll be crowns that we'll be able to cast at Jesus Christ's feet someday that he, he will be honored and glorified for. But if we're not obedient, those rewards will not be there. There's the potential for ruined lives for some. Understand and realize that the reality that one small decision, one small choice can alter the course of our lives. I used to tell the fellows in Bible college when I was in college, I said, you realize from 18 to 21 or whatever the age range is, the decisions you make in those three or four years of college can alter and change the, the, the course of the rest of your life because you make a mistake and your life is vastly different down the road. You can disqualify yourself from ministry. You can do all kinds of things and, and, and make mistakes and get messed up. And praise the Lord, we serve a God who forgives and forgets about our sin and covers it with His blood. And praise the Lord for that. But some things cannot be undone. Say, that's awful heavy, Brother Rusty. Yeah, it's, it's a little heavy. I know it is. And, and perhaps, perhaps a little bit too. But sometimes we need to consider and think about this bargaining. God says, listen, I want you to teach a Sunday school class. You say, well, Lord, I, I don't really have time. I don't want to put the effort in to teach in Sunday school. Uh, how about I just do this? And a couple years later, well, now Wednesday night's too much of church. Sunday night's too much church. Sunday morning, well, you know, once in a while we'll come. 
And then soon there's children. You have children and those kids turn into teenagers. Those teenagers turn into adults who never attend church because mom and dad didn't teach a Sunday school lesson that kept them in church. Say, Brother Holland, you get all that from just that they, they didn't teach a Sunday school lesson? That's absolutely how this works. One small step, one bargaining. God says to do something and we say, well, how about this, Lord? And we wind up far, far off the path and the generational effects of what we do and what happens. Lot is a picture of this for us tonight. And I don't like to beat on Lot too much. I think Lot's an example of just uh, how we could be. You know, but by the grace of God, there go I, as the saying goes. But allow us not to bargain with God. Let me ask you in conclusion this evening, are you bargaining with God? You know, th this covers a gamut of things. You say, Brother Holland, Genesis is not really a uh, missions text. You're a missionary. Why aren't you talking about missions? And uh, really, the entirety of the Bible, you can find an application to missions. And this evening, think about this, and we've talked about it, in telling and going and giving the gospel to other people. Uh, if God is speaking to you to get involved in some way that you're perhaps not, don't bargain with Him about it. Just get involved. Obey that bargaining. We never know what the consequences of that bargaining may be. You never know what, and you'll regret it later if not. Perhaps it's something else. Perhaps it's giving. Perhaps it's involvement in your local church. You talk to me for very long at all, and we'll, uh, you'll get the idea very quickly that I believe the local church is, is very important to the Christian life and to uh, missions and to a, a variety of things. If God is speaking to you to get more involved in your local church, you need to do so. Get involved. Get busy. Don't bargain with God. If God wants us to do something, wants us to serve Him, let us not bargain with Him over it. And praise the Lord for it. Pastor.